everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast, guys. I am super excited to have this guest on today. She has been worth the wait in coming. And uh, her book certainly looks phenomenally good. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our author for this week, Julie Swanson. Welcome. Crystal, thanks for having me. No, honestly, it's been an honor. I, I reached out to you last spring and I was like, oh. Oh, I really want to have her on, and then you know, luckily we figured it out, and we we got yeah. on that. So tell us about your latest book, and and what is it that inspired it for you? Um, we're talking about going for the record, right? I have yes. other books that I've written but not published. Going for the record. Um, well, a couple things inspired it. At the time, my dad was dying, and he was dying of cancer, and um. So, and I'm a big journaler, so I was journaling all about it. And yeah. um, I was also attending, um, you know, the children's magazine. I, I'm not sure if you have it in Scotland. It's called Highlights Magazine for Children. We have it in a lot of dentists and doctors' offices. Oh, right. It has yeah. hidden pictures and things like that in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have a writer's workshop every summer in New York, in Chautauqua. And I went to that and I met one of their editors there who had just written um, a sports novel, actually might have been his third sports novel. And I'm 
I have a big sports background too. I played three different sports in high school and I played basketball in college and I coached when I got out of college. And so, and my husband is the soccer coach. I guess you guys call it football. Um, yeah, we so I have a big athletic background and I was talking to him and I was writing middle grade and young adult novels at the time. And he said to me, my editor is really looking for someone who can write an authentic sounding girl's sports story that most yeah. of the people who write them sound like they've never played. And so therefore the action and scenes and all that, this don't ring true. So he yeah. said, have you ever thought about writing something? And I'm like, have I thought about it? Like I've already started several. And he said, well, yeah. If you want to, I will help mentor you. And his name was yeah. Rich Wallace. Uh, wow. Um, he said, I will help mentor you and you can send me the manuscript along the way. And uh, hopefully we can get it in a shape where we can send it to my editor. His editor yeah. was at Viking Penguin, Putnam Penguin, which is one of the big five wow. in New York. Yeah. It is. And yeah. so I was, I felt really lucky that he offered to yeah. do that for me. And I immediately knew which of the stories I wanted to write because um, uh, my husband had had a player of his have her father yeah. dying of cancer. And I was fascinated by how she reacted because her dad died. He got diagnosed with cancer and then two weeks later he was dead. And I think that would have wow. blown my world and I probably would have needed to take time off and it was right during the middle of her soccer season, but she just yes. came right back and wanted to win one for the Gipper uh, and play hard for her dad and honor him. And so she did that. And I was like, wow, I can't, I can't believe she can do that. That's amazing. I think I would want to be back with my family and my mom. And, no. and then I also had had a friend in high school who had kind of her reaction to her dad was total. Her dad died when she was a freshman in college playing basketball. Wow. And she all of a sudden could have cared less about basketball or sports. She was thinking about the grand scheme of things in the big picture. And she thought this is so stupid. And she really thought about quitting and leaving college. And she just couldn't yeah. get her heart into it because she was so preoccupied with her dad and her family and everything. So I had these two contrasting young athletes who had um, dealt with the way their dad died in a totally different way. Both their dads died during their season. One of them chose to keep playing really hard and play for her dad and could focus. And the other one had a really hard time continuing because it seemed unimportant after the death of her dad. So yeah, cool. my dad was dying at the time. And I thought, I'm going to write a sports story uh, based on my dad dying like he is now. Me going through what those girls went through back when I was playing. And so I kind of imagined how I would have coped, which yeah. is, and, and so that, that was the inspiration for the story. And the other inspiration for the story was just that my dad's death was plain old inspirational. He was amazing. He was kind of um, an Archie, Archie Bunker type guy, a little cranky and, you know, and I think we all thought when he got diagnosed with cancer, oh, wow, he's going to be the world's worst patient. You know, he's going <laughs> to be hard. Start, yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't. He was amazing. Like it just really yeah. it changed him, and he was really inspirational all through his dying and his final weeks and everything. So um, that's what inspired me to write the book. Is I wanted to share all that and kind of ex it was cathartic for me too. You know, I was exploring his death and how I would have dealt with it as a young person, and I think I probably did have a little bit of guilt with like my one friend was a little bit guilty about how 
her dad or her family's whole life had centered around her sport and she'd been. And so I imagined, you know, that if, if I didn't make myself a basketball, I didn't make the main character of the book be a basketball player. I made her be a soccer player. Yeah. That's what my husband coaches. And this guy who was mentoring me said, if you pick an athlete, pick an athlete for your first book, at least for sure, pick a different sport than what your favorite sport was because you'll yeah. be able to fictionalize it better. So that's true. Yeah. 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 So I worked on that with him back and forth, back and forth until he thought it was in shape to share with his um, editor. And I did share it with her and she liked it, but not enough to publish it. And she sent me the world's most amazing rejection letter where that's always great. Yep. I've had a few of those from the big ones too. Yep. Yeah. It was like three pages long and really encouraging and telling me what she liked about it and what she didn't like about it. And, so I took that letter and I fixed it up and I sent it out again and another big agent, another big publisher was interested in it, but they didn't end up taking it because the editor who I was working with, her mom was dying of cancer, was diagnosed with cancer while we were working on it. And I don't know if this is true or not. It could have just been a way out for her. <laughs> Maybe she just yeah. didn't want to, work. but she said yeah. it was too hard for her to work on it with yeah. her mom dying of cancer. So I was kind of discouraged and I was like a year into a revision with her and we yeah. were about to move from California across the country here to Virginia. So I got really fed up and I just shoved it in my drawer and said, when I'm done moving and unpacked and everything, I'll look at it again and see what I can yeah. do with it. And so that's what I did. And when I got settled enough that I could think about it again, I took it out and it was amazing. The distance, the couple months made yep. me see it all fresh. And I, I was like, I can't believe she wanted me to do this. This is so wrong. Like I went back to what my yep. gut told me to do with the story where I had Always been kind follow of, your gut. Yep. I'd been jumping through hoops to try to do A what piece, this big, yeah. big publisher, wanted, a big editor wanted me to do, you know, which yep. you figure they know I'm just a little beginner. What do I know? And I, so I largely put it back. I, I did the things that I agreed with, you know, I made the changes that I thought she was right on, but I put it back more the way that I thought it should be. And I sent yeah. it out to a smaller publisher um, called Erdman's. They're in Grand oh, Rapids. Okay. Yeah. And they also have, I think in Cambridge or something, they have a, yeah, they're, yeah, they're they started out in biblical translations and a lot of that kind of thing. But now yeah. they're, they do children's and all kinds of things and yeah. they accepted it. And that, that was the story of that. That's amazing. Cause I went, from a similar journey for you where I had the options to do something with a big publisher and then it turned out my story actually was too close to theirs to one something they'd already published or at least right. they felt it was and they mm -hmm. gave me this really beautiful letter of, we're really sorry we can't touch it we can't go forward with it but I went indie I found my way into an independent publisher and I've never looked back because the independence has given me such freedom I can write any genre I want. So if I'm feeling criminally mad and wanting to destroy things, I can go write crime for the day. Or if I'm feeling a hopeless romantic and I want to write one of the most gooeyest romantic stories possible, I'll go into romance. Or I'll go write young adult fantasy or, you know, whatever the mood uh -huh. takes me. I think that's what's different now, and I think I said this last week on the show, is seeing how far this industry's come 
like those two months you took a break and you were like oh I'm done but then having that two months you were able to go ha okay I see where this is going I see what I need to do with it why didn't I trust my gut in the the first place and having that reassurance in your gut was maybe what you needed to kind of push the story to where it needed to go and I think that's that's like something I say to a lot of writers they'll come to me and say oh my gosh you've done this 12 13 years how and I say because I trust my gut even if a publisher says to me or an agent says to me oh if you do this 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 this, it'll be the most amazing piece ever I don't do it unless it feels right unless my and sometimes don't you find don't you find like right away when they tell you what you need to do mostly my reaction is no way that's so wrong that's so Mm -hmm. stupid but if you sit on it some of those things that you reacted so strongly and negatively to some of them when you really think about it you're like okay that now I can see I've I've had a chance to think about it and I've thought about how I could do that and but some of them you're still like no that's just wrong so it's like your initial reaction isn't always right but if you if you read it let it sit a bit and then think about it then that reaction I think is right yeah, and I, what I always say to people is when you get your edits back and you get your notes back, read them, shelf it, go do something else, whether it's painting, housework, dishes, whatever it is that you can just walk completely away from your computer. Give yourself yeah. an hour to two hours. Let it sink in. Make yourself yeah. a coffee or have a conversation with somebody that is nothing to do with the industry because the worst thing you can do is sit with somebody in the industry and let it sink in because nine out of ten, a lot of the stuff that they'll come to you is very logical or there are things that they haven't picked up on or things that haven't made sense to them. And to be able to sit and have that time can sometimes say, okay, I maybe didn't explain this part of the story well enough. How can I go about putting it in such a way that it flows better and easily understood but it took me a really long time to get my head and my brain into that space into that mindset of what is it I need to do as a writer as a producer of creative worlds to help the reader fully explore and fully fall in love with this world and get the most out of it because at the end of the day they're the ones that are partying with their really hard-earned money to experience what we're creating you know we're selling an experience we're selling memories we're selling dreams we're selling hope and that that's why I listen to the editor but then I also listen to my gut and I try and balance out the two yeah and I think when you're younger that's harder to do, you know, when yeah. you're in your 20s and your 30s, you figure, well, they're so experienced and I don't know anything, so I should trust them. And you're sort of so wowed by, and feel so lucky yeah. that you have somebody big interested that you figure, oh, I don't want to be known as difficult. You know, yep. I don't want yep. I don't want to get that reputation that I'm not open to ideas and stuff like that. So I think when you're younger, you do things you don't trust your gut quite as much because you figure other people have more experience than you. And then yeah. as you get a little bit older, you're, you're, I think life little... experiences play into it in a big way. If you're not, if you've not lived a lot and you've not lived a lot of life, it is harder yeah. for you to try, have a gut that you trust. Whereas yeah. I've been lucky. I've lived 
an exceptionally crazy life. I'm only 35, but I've lived that crazy lifestyle. I've lived the knowledge and experience to say, okay, I need to trust my gut because this is what would actually happen if I didn't. And, you know, you go through the heartbreaks and you go through the life experiences. And as a writer, the more that you experience and the more you feel and the more you do things, the more you're going to the more you're going to be able to put into your work and the more you're going to connect with an audience worldwide compared to a select few that might have lived the same lifestyle as yourself. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're going through a painful period in your life, maybe not think of it as the negative thing. Oh, I'm going through this really bad time. Try and think about it as, well, if I can save these feelings and I can find a story that explains what this this was like for me yeah then maybe I'll connect to somebody and they will then be able to experience that for themselves and I think that's a great gift a writer can give to anybody in the world yeah no I mean that's it's so true you know you and some, sometimes when you're in those things, you feel very alone in them because you don't know anyone else yeah. is going through that. So after you're through it, you know, I can't be the only one. There are other people who could benefit yeah. from knowing they're not alone in it. And and I thought that about, um, you know, it, I also felt like in my dad's death, I learned some things that helped me cope or that comforted me or yeah. that just th- things that he did that inspired me. And they were things that I wanted to share. And yeah. so, I, you know, writing is about that sharing and making people not feel like they're alone. Also about entertaining, you know, if you're writing fantasy or romance or yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I, so what are you reading at the moment that's getting you excited? Is there any books that you're reading? Because as writers, we all read. It's, it's kind of like a thing that's drummed into us from day one is read, 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 read. So what, what are you reading that you're excited about right now? Well, right now I'm about to um about to query a bunch of agents and wow. they all want comp titles. And yep. I have I have one really good comp title, but I can't find another one that I think is right. So I have this huge stack of books that I've ordered that I'm yep. reading and I, I really research them by yeah. you know the theme of them or whatever hoping that yes this one will be something that I feel like I can really compare my book to so yeah. this current book that I'm working on has to do with uh how the the main character again I tend to always write books based on some life experience of mine and it's kind of funny because I used to my everyone in my writers group is not like that you know and so one woman in my writers group used to say oh let me guess is this one about you when you were younger yep. and I'm they like, yeah, I'm not apologizing. Like I'm writing from my own experience. But anyway, when I was the one I'm writing now is a really important book to me. It's actually the first book I worked on. And I, it's so important to me that I'd, I want to get it right. So I've been working on it for like 30 years. And it's like that book you have to write before you die. And it's kind of a story about a girl who hated being a girl. And, um, which is true. When I was a girl, I hated being a girl. I had two older brothers and we lived in a very rural woodsy area where there was so much fun, the stuff to do. And I just loved everything boy and boyish and wanted to be, and grew up in this culture and this family that was, you know, kind of sexist and patriarchal. And 
Always. Um, There's always yeah. one. Yeah. So I just, I had a hard time being a girl and I got this doll one Christmas and I don't know what possessed me. I wasn't conscious of what I was doing, but I gave it a haircut and I sewed it boys clothes and I gave it a boy's name and it was like a ventriloquist dummy. I would make him talk and he yeah, really would say everything that I wanted to say. And I was really boring and shy and quiet and timid and meek. And he was loud and funny and brave and all the things that I wanted to be and wasn't. And my family got such a kick out of him that they played along with it. And over That's the cool. years, not everybody, my brothers refused to, but <laughs> <laughs> always, my, always a brother. Yeah. Yeah. But my mom, my dad, my sister and my cousin, they all played along and um, ended up calling me by his name a lot of times instead of my own name. And I didn't even think it was weird. I, I just, because it happened slowly and, and evolved and it was funny and everyone enjoyed it. Like now probably when someone would send me to therapy, <laughs> you know, they'd go, oh, that's gross. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't think they would. I think nowadays we're, we're more open-minded and we kind of see more of the situation and the picture than we would, you know, back in. The yeah, 10, back then you didn't talk about it at all. Yeah, whereas, whereas and, uh, I think there would be a conversation about it now, but it wouldn't be hey, let's get some therapy, you know, we, okay, let's have a conversation about it and then see where it takes us from there. Kind of Just situation. with your parent or whatever, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't yeah. think it was weird at all until I got married in my 20s and I would go home for holidays or vacations or whatever and my mom or my dad or my sister would be calling me by this boy's name and I would be talking back in this funny little voice because over the years I sort of shed the doll and it just became yeah. this other little voice I used. Yeah. And um, and I don't know why I still can't be funny unless I talk in that voice. And yeah. I still can't really talk in that voice around anyone but my sister and my mom now. My dad is gone. But when I married my husband, I was really self-conscious of it when he would be around my family and they'd call me that name. And I'd be, I'd be like, he must think I'm crazy. And so I stopped being him. Yeah. And that's when I got really curious about it. And I was like, what was that? <laughs> you know, and so I really wanted, I would have given anything to go to a therapist and ask him what that was and talk to him about it and just it's sort of figure it out. Yeah. yeah and, and I did end up much later doing that. And it was fascinating to, to learn, you know, what someone would consider that. And, um, but that's the story that I'm working on now. And I forgot your question. I forgot the question that started it's okay. off. I asked you what you were excited about reading. <laughs> oh, so I'm reading books about gender stuff, tomboys, um, yeah. kids who have alter egos, um, kids who grow up with a little bit of um, either misogyny or sexism or um, yeah. emotional abuse, you know, stuff like that, because sometimes I, I think it might have been that. <laughs> and well, yeah. so I'm, yeah. I'm reading all those different books and seeing if. I think I've read through every tomboy gender book, LBGTQ book there is in the world for middle grade and young adults. So now I'm looking at the other ones more having to do with them. Um, yeah, I guess it, there was. It, it's did you, you ever watch that. Nickelodeon? Yes, I did. It was. Did you ever watch you. Victorious? Yes, we did. Yeah, my brother liked what? that one a lot. <laughs> I guess there's a character named Roy Power Rex Powers. He was the dummy, a yep. ventriloquist dummy, and so. I'm thinking if I can't find a, a comp title, maybe I'll use Rex Powers from Victorious as like an example from 
cult, you know, they say you can use TVs or, but that's kind of an old one. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. stopped in 2013. So I'd like to find something newer, but he's my last resort, Rex Powers, in explaining. Yeah, I think what that's this... a good one, to be honest. Do you, you think least... it is? Yeah, I do. And do you think a lot of people know that? I don't think people instantly recognize it, but I think when they start reading They could look it up? Yeah, they'll look it up as they're reading the book because they'll become curious about it and it will be something that they'll look up and they'll go, oh, yeah, and then it'll it'll click for them because there's probably more people out there that's watched it than what they realize. Because okay. a lot of parents used to just stick Nickelodeon on and stick in front of it and you didn't always pay attention to which show was starting or which show was ending because you were usually doing homework or eating your dinner or yeah. you know you were getting distracted for whatever reason so I think it will connect with so many in that well, regard I'm glad to hear really. you think that maybe I can yeah it. there you go see <laughs> um but no like it's, it's funny you were talking about sort of growing up and not knowing you know not liking what you wear and, and trying to understand that um because what was one of the things that I took for my series called Marie's World is I took... Called what? Marie's World. Marie? The girl's name Marie? Yeah, okay. Marie's World. And it's twin sisters. So you've got the overly girly sister who's the apple of dad's eye and gets all the attention and everything else. And then you've got Marie who's this kind of out there, does the big sister protection thing, but they're twins. So there's kind of that, that little bit of conflict between them. And Marie's never felt like she's fit in anywhere. She's constantly searching for the sense of belonging. And when her dad abandons her and her twin sister on this end in Aberdeen, then the twins change. So Layla becomes more dependent on Marie. But when Marie becomes famous and Layla gets left behind, she she lashes out in the only way she knows how and she exposes her her sister's diaries to the world oh. and it exposes the family like a lot of the family secrets like hey mom was uh pregnant and she drank herself to death and dad was on the road and lied to us our entire lives we didn't know he was a wrestler and, and why did he do this to us and, and why did he leave us this um gigantic hole that we've never understood and that was it was almost the story that we took and we built it from each character's point of view so it's like a spider web so when you've read marie's you get to read amber you get to read charlie you get to read all the main characters little stories and it gives you that kind of almost 4d 3d world that you get encased in and mm -hmm. once you start unfortunately it's hard to stop from what i'm told but you get into it and it, it's you almost want to slap Marie in a way because you're like, oh, would you just wake up and realize your twin sister is a nut job? You know, like, you just want to, like, strangle her a little bit. And then Layla, you're just like, God, how is this girl still, still alive? Like, how has nobody smacked sense into her yet? Like, but you get different emotions from every character. And I think um, growing up the way I did, I grew up in the hospital. I grew up in situations with many different kids around me with many different personalities and it was almost like recreating that that environment of all of us working towards a common goal which was to get better to get home but in this sense we did it in a, a dance aspect of they're trying to work together and push each other to achieve the best in dancing and achieve the best 
in their careers and in in solving the mysteries of their lives they've never understood and and maria is very much the tomboy where she's got the black trousers and she's got the heavy boots and she's like i don't care i'm gonna wear a fleece thermal jumper today because i feel like it i don't want to wear a crop top because guess what i'll get cold and she's kind of that more down-to-earth one where layla's skipping around in the summer dress and little heels and it's like minus two outside and she doesn't care yeah it it gives you that kind of how two people can be so different and how they can take completely different paths and i think I, i think it might be one that you you might connect with you might it might help you know with that the what you're doing and is that a book that you've got published yeah that's out right now yeah yeah um marie's world incredible series we're six books in on 32 wow why i agreed to 32 32 yeah (laughs) that way it seemed like a good idea at the beginning and now that i'm six seven books in i'm like oh gee uh, yeah, no, that's a lot. Not a good idea. This was a really bad, bad idea, Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> My husband just rolls his eyes and goes, "You never did anything by half." Yes, yes. you uh-huh. So you know, and especially if I'm in a really hard writing session and I know I'm going to be up at like two, three o'clock in the morning, I just crash on the sofa or I'll crash in the spare room and be like, the next day. Yeah. Um, but it. It's an amazing experience. It really is, and to to be a part of it um, is is amazing. And I also I think one of the things that I keep jumping into a lot of authors is have your breakaway time, have your time where you're not writing and you're not sitting in the story. So like I will go and I'll be because I'm hyper social person. I have to have conversations with people and I have to be constantly in conversations with as many different people as I can. So I go into um, I go into the gaming world, and that has opened up an even wider range of personalities and experiences and people, and and that when you're doing fantasy, you're doing YA, and you're doing young sort of middle aged or or young adult, the amount of influence and inspiration you can get by just being around people like that is is absolutely incredible, and I. I didn't think it would be a useful tool. I thought Discord would be a nightmare and I would quit after a week and I wouldn't like it or whatever. And then I had it for like six, seven years and I'm like, I'm never going to get off this thing. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's permanent. It's like, oh, okay. And nice. and that, I mean, we set up a fantasy server just, just for the series that we've got coming out later on this year. And people have just flocked to it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we get to read along, and we get the experiences that comes mm-hmm. out." That was just a, another platform, another way of, of the fans being able to interact with all of us, and to to be a part of something that was even bigger. And we have themed game nights, and we have all the little things that we do on there, and it, it's a lot of fun. I've I've had oh, to good. learn and adapt to like what our industry is now, and how to reach readers and gamers and and all these people out there that that will pick up this kind of stuff and and this was one of the things that i've learned and i always say if you're putting a book out make sure you research on the best way to reach the people that you you need to reach and uh yeah you're lucky you're you're lucky you like to be social 
because I tend yeah. to be the other way. <laughs> I, I, I found it for a long time uh, very draining and I found it very difficult but I got really really lucky and uh, I, I started to find my feet and I started to find my confidence and once I did that there was no slowing me down like my dad was saying as soon as you had eight and you realized like where you were going with your social stuff then he just never saw me (laughs) I had a better social life than him um and still to this day he'll say to me like he goes out three four days a week at night and my mom never sees him and I used to be out five or six nights a week and he would be the one tapping on my door going I haven't seen you this week (laughs) where have you been um and that that you know that's a great thing but at least now with the internet you don't have to physically go out to have that you know I can uh, I can right. just open my computer and connect with people all over the world and I think that's an incredibly incredible gift to everybody yeah so you you've come on the show you've survived the Book and Life podcast um we've been honored to have you on and we really can't wait uh, to have you back when you get your new book into the next step and when you can oh, come back and announce it and tell us all about it I know that everybody here um, will be definitely excited and uh, yeah so guys be safe this week while you're doing your stuff and I will see you all again next Monday for another episode of the Book and Life Podcast